You're listening to Resurrection Life with Pastor Nathan Trice. So what is so great about being a member of a local church? That is the question that I have uh, recently raised in this church membership class via podcast uh, here at Resurrection Life. And last time I sought to answer that question in light of something that I earlier in the series sought to establish from the scripture, uh, and that is that we as Christians need to be spiritually nurtured in order to be healthy Christians, indeed, in order to grow in the Lord and in our faith in Jesus Christ. And the scripture makes clear that the church is God's primary provision for the nurture of the saints, for the people of God. I pointed to the vow that the congregation of resurrection takes every time we receive new members, a vow in which this concept of nurturing and our being a nurturing community is front and center. So the vow goes, again, do you promise before God to assist this family or individual in their Christian nurture by godly example, prayer, and encouragement in our most precious faith, and in the fellowship of believers. That's the question that is put to the congregation again and again and again as individuals and families are received into membership. And last time, I invited you to think of what it would be like to be on the receiving end of that kind of nurture. It really is a great blessing to hear a whole community promise to nurture you. And I wanted to talk last time about what you can expect Uh, by way of that nurture that would be provided to you as a member at Resurrection Presbyterian Church. I had seven ways that every Christian needs to be nurtured and that they should rightly expect the local church to provide, and certainly by the grace of God, what Resurrection does provide. Today, however, folks, I want to turn it all around. I want to talk today not about the nurture that every Christian needs, I want to talk about the nurture that every Christian can take part in providing. Indeed, uh, the nurture that every Christian before the Lord is responsible to take part in providing uh, to his fellow believers in the church communities. Friends, uh, for all the blessing of being part of a nurturing community, that blessing depends on each member of that community recognizing and embracing their responsibilities to be themselves committed to the ministry of nurturing. And in fact, that's what the vow that I've just again cited is really and primarily pointing towards. It's the kind of commitment that is involved in being a member of a church uh, to be involved in practical ways in nurturing others in the body. Now, we need to talk about today what that looks like. And let me be very transparent about my intentions in this point in this membership class. I am frankly trying to enlist you as prospective members of Resurrection Presbyterian Church into this nurturing ministry that we're all called to have. I'm trying to recruit you, you might say, to a kind of ministry that's vital to every local church 
And if you do find yourself in God's providence joining Resurrection Presbyterian Church or any faithful a Christian church, I would like to have a part in readying you to be what we call active members in the church. That is to say, not just having gone through a process and uh, being registered in some uh, book somewhere as a member of the church, but doing and being whatever you can to serve your brothers and sisters in love in that community under this heading I'm using of nurture. So, uh, if you become a member of Resurrection Presbyterian Church, you will be among those who are making the commitment to nurture uh, the new members as well as all the other members. So, let's consider what that promise entails. I have five things. I want to talk about your presence, hospitality, relationships, service, and giving. So, number one, uh, most basically, The most basic way that we nurture one another in the church is, folks, by our presence. Listen to Hebrews 10, off-cited passage in this context, verse 24 and 25. The apostle says, or the writer of Hebrews says, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, obviously, uh, we're being called to do things that are for the spiritual good of one another. We're to stir up one another to love and good deeds. We're to encourage one another. This is uh, all part of the nurturing ministry that I'm talking about, but here's what's significant about Hebrews 10. The writer recognizes that these things won't happen apart from, most basically, our presence. Yes, our physical and spiritual presence together in the meetings of the church. Your presence is what makes for those opportunities to arise, to provide nurture in very specific ways. So, of course, you can't ask for a brother to give you an update on the situation that you're praying about if you're not there where your brother is. You can't notice, for example, that a sister is downcast in her demeanor and showing some kind of pain if you're not there to see it and to be responsive to it in love. You can't set an example of good parenting or husbanding or being a wife, godly wife unless you are available by your presence to be seen in those uh, roles. You can't be heard praying for the needs of your brothers and sisters and all the encouragement that that brings, as we've already talked about, if you are simply not there when the congregation is praying. So this is rather basic. Uh, folks, I want... Uh, you to consider that your presence has a kind of environmental effect on the faith of those who are there with you. In other words, your being a regular presence in all the gifts and graces that God has given you is itself a nurturing thing. Now, at this point in my membership class, when I'm uh, doing it in person, uh, I pull out a, a, a swell little book that I ran across some years ago 
uh, that does a very good job of, of driving home this point. The book is actually called How to Walk into Church, and it's by a gentleman named Tony Payne, How to Walk into Church. I'm going to uh, get to a place in this book. Uh, it's more like a booklet, actually. It's very small. Uh, where he talks about the ministry of turning up, we would say, uh, um, the ministry of showing up. Um, But let me uh, lay the groundwork for that expression in this book. Um, The title, How to Walk into Church, uh, is setting us up for the primary burden of this book, which is that we should walk into church not with what we call a consumer mindset, but rather we should walk into church with a ministry mindset. Now, uh, the author actually encourages us to think about the variety of different ways we could walk into church. In other words, the kind of attitudes or expectations uh, that we could have. Some people would, uh, for example, uh, typically walk into church the way they walk into a movie theater. Not with the exact same expectations, of course, but expecting to receive something, maybe something that would be entertaining for them. And it's all about what they're going to see and receive that forms their expectations as they walk into church. Others, we'd say, uh, surely a little bit better uh, way to walk into church, go with more of a, Tony uh, uh, Payne uh, says, uh, a personal devotions kind of expectation mindset. They're not really there to, to see people or to interact with them. They're really there to get what they need uh, in their own relationship with God. Another way of walking into church uh, that uh, our author cites is uh, the doing a good deed mindset, the attitude that um, this is something good people do, good Christians go to church. So, Uh, I'm not really enthusiastic about being here, but I am going to check the box. I'm going to be here, and then I'm going to move on to other things. Well, um, better and worse examples here, but uh, uh, the burden of this author in this uh, excellent little book is to say what all of those are missing is a ministry mindset. And here's how uh, he answers the question, how to walk into church. Um, What's the right way to walk into church? He puts it in a way that may be a little bit surprising. We should walk into church, says uh, Mr. Payne, praying about where to sit. Okay, so uh, praying is a great way to walk into church, he says, because Of course, uh, we are going to be meeting with God most fundamentally, and we're expressing our faith in God and our expectations of blessing uh, from God, and it's right for us to go into church prayerful. But then when he says, praying not just about those things, but praying about where to sit, our author is doing something, I think, refreshingly uh, counterintuitive. Uh, Listen to what uh, he wants to say. I'm reading now, it's page 12, if you do secure this little book and, and look into it. When we pray about where to sit, we're also putting ourselves in the right frame of mind towards each other. 
We've started to think about church as being about someone other than me. This can be quite a mindset, he goes on to say, but it is a vital one. We come to church not only to be loved and blessed by God, but also to love and bless others around us. We come not to spectate or consume, nor even to have merely our own personal encounter with God. We come to love and serve. And he says, as we'll see in a few chapters' time, this focus on loving and serving and encouraging those around us is a prominent theme in the Bible's teaching about our role at church. So why does he say pray as you enter into church about where you will sit? Uh, Let me read just a uh, a line or two further on that. So when we pray about where to sit, we're trusting that what we do at church really matters, that God has something important for us to do. In particular, someone he wants us to sit next to, or talk with, or listen to, or pray for, or encourage. You see what he's doing? Now, um, resurrection is no different from, I suspect, most congregations. Members get quite settled in where they are going to sit every single Sunday. We are, after all, creatures of habit, and I'm not trying to make a law uh, that we should always sit in a different place every Sunday. However, I appreciate what uh, Mr. Payne is doing in this little book uh, by expressing how great an opportunity there is even to begin in the very decision about where you sit to be oriented towards blessing, providing spiritual nurture to those that you're going to be with in that service before, during, and after. Now, this all brings me back to the fundamental of this first point. It is your presence in the gatherings of uh, the people of God that is the most fundamental element of your ability to nurture. Can I read a little bit further uh, from this uh, little book? I actually assign it uh, for reading in the membership class, so I'm letting you off the hook here on this podcast series. But um, page 35, uh, he asked the question, where do we start uh, in uh, taking up this ministry-mindedness as part of a local church? And he says it starts with the decision to be there every week. If you think that church is a necessary but slightly tedious chore in which you have very little part to play apart from getting some spiritual sustenance for yourself, then your commitment to being there regularly is likely to be wobbly at best. You'll get there when you can. You'll feel a slight pang of guilt when you don't, but certainly not enough of a pang to prevent you from missing it reasonably often, especially when there's something more pressing or attractive to do. He goes on to say, In reality, what really stops many of us from turning up more frequently to church is a failure to grasp just how vital the, quote, ministry of turning up really is. There's that expression that I started this with. One of the most important acts of love and encouragement we can all engage in is the powerful encouragement of just being there. Because every time I walk into church, I'm wearing a metaphorical t-shirt that says, God is important to me and you are important to me as well. On the back, that metaphorical t-shirt says, and that's why I wouldn't dream 
of missing this. Similarly, he goes on to say, when we stay away for no good reason, one week out of three or more, we send the opposite message. None of the important things God has for us to do in church each week can happen if we're not there. We can't love people. We can't talk to them and encourage them. We can't gather with them to listen together to God's Word. All of this hangs on the rather simple prerequisite of actually being there. And so, perhaps, the most important thing you can do before you walk into church is simply plan to show up. Every week, unless some emergency intervenes, church needs to move into that category of non-negotiable fixtures around which we plan other things. So, my friends, uh, in answering the question, how do we take part in the nurturing ministry of the church? The most fundamental thing to say, the first thing to say, is that we show up. We're there. When the church is meeting, we don't forsake the assembling of the saints. We make it our top priority in life uh, to be among the people of God when they gather. Let me move on to number two. Uh, We nurture one another in the church by the ministry the Bible speaks of as the ministry of hospitality. Now, I hope it doesn't come as a surprise to anyone uh, when I say that the essentials of Christian nurture, though they can take place in our gatherings on Sunday, they cannot only take place in that two or three hours that we spend together on Sundays. As a matter of fact, as valuable as those meetings are, those are the launch pads, if you will, of each week that provide the beginnings of the nurture. They are the settings in which we find ways to then pull others into our lives in more daily ways, the days of each Week, So this concept of hospitality, um, hospitality in the scripture uh, is a lot broader than perhaps we might think when we first hear the word. Hospitality is any opening up of your life and yes, your home, uh, giving to someone else of your time and your energy in order to be a blessing to them. Um, Hospitality is a way to make time and space for face-to-face time with brothers and sisters. So Peter's talking about this in 1 Peter 4. He says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. In the very next verse, verse 9, he says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. You see, hospitality is the context. It's the space, as we often speak of it now, that is created in order that love can be expressed to each other. And when Peter talks this way, folks, it's not hard to figure out the precedent for this way of thinking in Peter. Remember what we're told in the book of Acts, the second chapter, about the fellowship of that early church. We're told there, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. So, uh, this 
uh, breaking bread in their homes. People in that congregation are opening their homes to brothers and sisters in order to provide a place and a context uh, for ministry to be extended beyond what takes place in and around the weekly worship of God's people. Folks, I could talk a little bit, uh, a little bit of a long time <laughs> about the ministry of hospitality, and I've preached uh, a series on this uh, in years past at Resurrection. I'll just say for now, there is something about opening a home, and yes, sharing a meal. Those two things are so frequently a part of hospitality that goes to the heart of Christian fellowship. There's nothing more private nor more personal than your home. There's nothing more yours than your home. But when you invite people into your home, you're making them part of your lives. You're sharing what is uh, most intimate about yourself in a very real way. There's nothing more fundamentally necessary to life than food, unless maybe it's air. When we share with people our food, we are by gesture and actually in reality uh, meeting profound needs. The physical needs that we're taking part in meeting in one another uh, is the context in which spiritual needs can be met. So uh, I am eager to put this in the minds and hearts of those contemplating membership uh, at Resurrection Presbyterian Church. Think of the opportunity that is opened up for ministry in the church through this uh, Christian duty of hospitality. Uh, it's something uh, we find in the Scripture more than just in First Peter chapter 4. A presence among God's people, hospitality, pulling God's people into our lives and into our homes. Um, thirdly, we nurture one another in the church by the intentional pursuit of relationships. Now, I've already been reading scripture passages that use the expression one another in the English translation. Uh, and you will know, perhaps, that that is a common refrain, especially in the New Testament, as exhortations are given by the apostles, Peter or Paul, for example, uh, to congregations, to uh, local expressions of the church. They'll say things like, welcome one another, encourage one another, build one another up, bear one another's burdens, refresh one another restore one another, instruct one another, teach one another, admonish one another, exhort one another, warn one another, stir up one another, and of course, love one another. I haven't given you all the references, but those are all expressions pulled straight out of the Bible, <clears throat> the New Testament, and a couple of things are very obvious uh, in that list, brothers and sisters. Uh, one is that all of these things are the responsibility of all God's people. There are uh, elements in every one of those instances that all of God's people are called uh, to do for one another. And it's also obvious that these are things we will not be able to do apart from some very intentional efforts. Uh, so 
let me put it this way. We don't become a deeply nurturing community merely by being friendly to each other from Sunday to Sunday. Um, all those one anothering exhortations that I just read, they represent a lot of time, a lot of energy on the part of those who are going to keep uh, those exhortations. So I have encouraged the members of Resurrection over the years to think in terms of three different kinds of intentional relationships, uh, suitable or uh, suited for differing kinds of needs and situations. One most basically is just friendship. One of my favorite words is the word befriend. Befriend. You are involved in one of the most valuable ministries the church um, ever expresses. When you see someone who is lonely or someone who is relationally needy in some way or another, and you go towards that person and offer friendship when you befriend that person. First Thessalonians 5.11, therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Folks, at some point that calls for that intentional relationship of befriending. But another kind of relationship uh, that is necessary in fulfilling some of these one anothering exhortations is accountability relationships. Uh, did you know that the Bible uh, calls for us to go towards a brother or sister that we see to be in spiritual danger? Hebrews 3 verse 13 says, but exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So the exhorting or admonishing or warning one another uh, in that list that I just gave can look like uh, entering into a relationship in which you will uh, be able to hold a brother or sister accountable. There's so many different ways in which that can be done. You may be asked for that accountability. You may have to offer that accountability. It will certainly need to be a mutual thing, but um, accountability relationships have tremendous power for good uh, in the life of the church, a powerful mode of nurture in the church. The third relationship that I speak of is a, a spiritual mentoring relationship. When you draw close to someone because you have a sense that they are younger in the faith, they are still learning lessons that you have by God's grace uh, already learned or have made great progress in learning. Paul says in Romans 5, or sorry, 15, verse 14, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. This is a passage that makes clear that teaching uh, and instructing and modeling and mentoring are not just for ordained men in the church. It's for all the members of the church in those more informal ways. So in addition, in addition to your presence in the gatherings of the God's people, your efforts to bring people into your homes and lives through hospitality, there's this third element of being very intentional in pursuing relationships uh, with individuals in the church 
uh, with a view to seeking to be a blessing to them. Number four, we nurture one another in the church by serving those in need. I have in mind 1 Peter 4 now, verse 10 and following, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Now, there is a lot of discussion uh, by uh, the church uh, today about spiritual gifts, and rightly so. Uh, Paul speaks about them as well as Peter, and in some cases there are some pretty extraordinary uh, kinds of spiritual gifts, uh, ones that are not conspicuous, shall we say, uh, in Presbyterian churches. That's a whole other subject, uh, whether all the spiritual gifts uh, continue in the present day. My point here uh, is to say, brothers and sisters, uh, in some instances, in all the interest uh, to consider spiritual gifts and to know what my spiritual gift is, that's a legitimate question. In all of that interest in spiritual gifts, something can be lost sight of. And that is that all the gifts, whatever they are, are given in order that we may serve others. I think sometimes uh, the interest in spiritual gifts can turn uh, to a kind of quest for self-fulfillment, as if a spiritual gift is given to uh, a member of the body of Christ in order that they might come to self-expression and self-fulfillment in ways that are personally rewarding. Folks, our gifts are simply um, special abilities to meet the needs of others. That's what spiritual gifts are, what it comes down to. Um, Special abilities to bless them, and maybe at times not even all that special. (laughs) A, A Christian community that's a nurturing community, a church that's a nurturing community, is full of people who are doing what every Christian is called to do, to see needs in the church, and to respond to them. I don't think there is in the list of spiritual gifts in the Bible uh, the gift of nursery work in the lists. There's not a, uh, a gift of communion preparation in the Bible. No, um, these are just things that Christians do in the church out of a desire to meet the needs that arise within the body. They're not merely asking the question, what is my spiritual gift? They're asking the question, a much more homely, but so much more important question, what needs doing? I think at Resurrection, like most congregations, the primary form of service in the church is unscripted, it's often unorganized, and as a result of all this, it's often invisible, it's unnoticed, by many, but it's the kind of ministry that takes place in a family, not particularly uh, prominent job descriptions for each minister, but many people coming together to do what needs doing, meeting the needs of the body. So presence, hospitality, relationship, service, and yes, folks, I do want to talk 
about the role of our giving. I'm talking about financial giving uh, in enabling the church to be a minister, uh, sorry, to be a nurturing community. At Resurrection, when it comes time to take the morning offering and the evening offering, often the elder leading in worship or the pastor will say to the visitors that are present, you do not need to feel any obligation uh, to give. This uh, is an opportunity, but feel no obligation. This is something that the members of the church are committed to doing. Well, let's talk about that commitment or that responsibility to give as a way of sustaining the nurturing ministry of the church. Um, At Resurrection, the morning offering is a general offering. It is for everything that uh, sustains the ongoing ministry of the church. The evening offering is is, uh, one specific subset of all that ministry, and it's the diaconal offering. Uh, The general offering then would be the offering in which uh, funds are given to keep the lights on in the church, to pay the pastors, and to support the missionaries at home and abroad, and so on. The evening offering, the diaconal offering, is is monies entrusted to those ordained officers in the church, the deacons, uh, in order for them, on behalf of the congregation, Uh, to meet the material needs of both members of the church and those outside the church to whom we're able to serve. Now, folks, giving financially to both the general offering and the diaconal offering is our expectation of all our members uh, as part of their involvement uh, in the nurturing ministry of the church. I should go ahead and tell you that uh, we're actually persuaded that the Old Testament tithe, which is another way of saying a tenth of what we receive, is our minimum goal in our giving as New Testament Christians. Um, I won't take the time to expound that. I've preached on this subject as well. Glad to reference uh, that to you if you have questions about it. But we see not only a pattern in the Old Testament, Genesis 14 and 28, Numbers 18, Nehemiah 13, Malachi 3, where the tithe is something prominent, but we see it affirmed in the New Testament as well. Luke chapter 11 is an example of that. Of that. So we speak at Resurrection about the privilege and the responsibility to tithe, and we're also mindful that God is pleased when we give not merely a tenth of what we have, but as much as we can according to our ability. The tithe is the standard minimum, but the Bible also encourages what is sometimes called free will offerings that the people give as expressions of their generosity to the Lord and to one another out of gratitude. Now, there is not, I think I can say without any reservations or uh, qualms. There is not an overbearing emphasis on giving at Resurrection Presbyterian Church. The morning and evening offerings are uh, fairly low-key parts of our worship. We do have every year uh, what we call Stewardship Sunday, the beginning of the year, and that's a reminder uh, to the members of the congregation that it is part of our ministry to one another Uh, to give generously. And it is is a phenomenon that I puzzle over, uh, brothers and sisters, that 
those of us with the greatest material resources, Americans, middle age, uh, sorry, uh, middle income and so on, seem to be the ones who most need to be reminded of this. It's a bit of an irony. Did you know that in America, the poorest Christians in America give by percentage the most? Did you know that? I was shocked to find this uh, in some research some years ago. Mississippi, the state of Mississippi, uh, is the second most generous state in the country in terms of percentage of income given to charitable causes. Did you know that? Mississippi is the second most generous state in the country. And Mississippi is also the second poorest state in the country. It's right behind Louisiana. Now, what does it tell you? By the way, uh, New Hampshire, Maine, Vermont, I'll call them out, uh, among the least generous states in the Union. What are, we, what are we hearing in this, if these statistics are to be believed? Well, the wealthier we are, the more we want to hold on and invest for our own good uh, the gifts of God. And so... An act of joining a local church is an appropriate time uh, to think, brothers and sisters, about God's claim on even our material goods, his claim in terms of our giving, and the opportunity that that giving represents in ensuring that the church continues, its ministries continue, and thus it remains a nurturing community. Well, these are five. I think not an exhaustive list, but these are uh, the big five uh, ways in which you are not only uh, going to be needing the nurture of the church, but you're going to be needed in order for the church to be a nurturing community. Last time I was talking all about the privileges of being part of a church, and you need to hear this. You need to know how good it is to be a member of a local church. The privileges are immense. This time, I've been talking about the responsibilities of being part of the church. Uh, you are needed by the rest of the body. So, uh, as we move on uh, at this point, uh, I'm going to be taking with you a very close look at the process for joining a Presbyterian church like Resurrection and specifically this congregation. And uh, you may know this already, but members are made in Presbyterian churches by the taking of vows. And so these vows, these membership vows that are means by which we become members of Resurrection Presbyterian Church, I want to introduce them to you in our next podcast and to make clear what's happening uh, when we stand up and take membership vows. What does that represent? And why is that such a good thing, such an edifying thing, such a solemn thing, such a wonderful thing? Well, that will suffice for today in this ongoing set of meditations on church membership. Thank you, folks, for tuning back in. I will leave you for now. Go in the peace of the Lord. And brothers and sisters, Christ is risen.
You've been listening to another episode of Resurrection Life with Pastor Nathan Trice. This is a ministry of Resurrection Presbyterian Church in Matthews, North Carolina. And if you've enjoyed today's podcast, please consider sharing it with someone you know. Thank you for joining us.